You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. And this morning we are continuing our journey through the Psalms, looking at Psalms of Thanksgiving. And we are looking at together Psalm 105. It's the second part this week of a series of messages through this particular um, this particular subject of thankfulness. And I hope that you are preparing uh, for the Thanksgiving season. Hopefully uh, you are being stirred and reminded of all that God has done in your life. And yet, as we think about Thanksgiving, as I mentioned last week, and as the Bible would call us to, Uh, This season of Thanksgiving is not the only season for the Christian in which we should be thankful. In fact, every season is the season of thankfulness. Uh, First Thessalonians teaches that we should be thankful in all circumstances. It's the will of God in our life. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, Paul says to the church at Thessalonica. And so what better place to be reminded than in prayers of thanksgiving, which is what we see all throughout the book of Psalms. And what we've done is just selected five of those, five particular Psalms of thanksgiving, things that the Christian should be thankful for and things that are on my heart for you as God's people as we think about our following of Jesus. In fact, if you were to give a subtitle to this series, as I mentioned last week, it would be that. Five things that every Christian ought to be thankful for in God. And so last week, we looked at the first of those five things in Psalm 100, and that is God's perfect character. How many of you know and believe that we serve a perfect God? Amen? He is forever faithful. There is no flaw in Him. Uh, there is nothing lacking, nothing to be added to. We have a have an awesome God. And in God, we have no reason to turn anywhere else but to turn to Him for all that we need. And so this thankfulness for the Christian, we must understand first, as we looked at last week, that thankfulness, as far as a Christian goes, is God-centered. Thankfulness is God-centered. Christian thankfulness, that is. It is a prideful exclamation for us to say, well, what has God done for me? Because God in himself, if he does nothing else for us, none of his promises, none of his acts, none of his gifts, even if none of those things were to take place, he is still God. And by virtue of his character, he is worthy of our thankfulness. So as we saw last week, that we should be thankful for God's perfect character. Your first thought when you think about thanking God should not be what He's done for you, what He's given to you, or what He's promised you. Your first thought should be who He is and what He is like. Know God and be thankful for who He is. However, 
God has done great things for us. Has He not? God has done great things. Psalm 126 and verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. The heart of our thankfulness to God for who He is, we realize that God in His goodness and in His, His favor and His love for us and His grace toward us, His mercy, that God has actually done a lot of great things for us, frankly, more than we can count. And that's what this second psalm that we're looking at is all about. The great things that God has done. So we've done a lot of standing this morning, but I do want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word as we read all of Psalm 105. And it is a reminder to us of those great things that He has done. The Bible says, O give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of all His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that He has done. His miracles and the judgments He uttered. O offspring of Abraham, His servant, children of Jacob, His chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever. The word that He commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that He made with Abraham. His sworn promise to Isaac, which He confirmed to Jacob as a statute. To Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number, O little of little account, And sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones. Do not uh, do my prophets no harm. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His, his neck with, uh, was put, on, put in with collar of iron. Put in a collar, collar of iron. Until, he, until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of all the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. The Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs. Even in the chamber of their kings, he spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the, the trees of their country. He spoke, and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of their ground. 
He struck down all the firstborn in their land, the firstfruits of all their strength. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, and dread of them, for, for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering and a fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham, his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them land of the, the land of the nations. And they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil that they may keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Lord, we praise You this morning because great are Your works. Miraculous are Your works, Lord. You have done great things in the life of Your people. Your people, Israel, You've done great things in the life of Your church as we think about the history of the church. You've done great things in the history of our church. And Lord, in each one of us, as we could give testimony this morning, you have done great things in our lives. And so we thank you for your miraculous work among us. We pray this morning that you would stir us again toward thankfulness. Lord, we tend to grow so calloused toward the great things that you are doing around us. And so I pray, God, that you would heal us from that callousness and that we would be stirred again to be thankful in our hearts toward a great God. For great things you have done. And we are glad. Lord, I pray that if there is someone this morning who's never trusted in Jesus Christ, may Adelaide's testimony, our joy from singing, your word being preached, and the extension of an invitation by your Holy Spirit, call them to repentance and faith this morning in Jesus. And I pray that you would be exalted in that decision. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And so there is one big truth. I think that you could get it just simply in the first six verses or so as you're reading through this passage. It doesn't take you long to get what the idea of the psalmist is. You you can get lost in all of the story of what he's telling. But if you just read the first part of the psalm, you can't miss what he's calling us to. It's right there in the very first verse in one phrase. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. This is the call of God's word to us this morning. This and every one of these weeks as we look at these psalms. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. He is worthy of us thanking him. And what exactly is it that the psalmist wants us to remember as we give thanks to the Lord? It seems that there is a corporate call to thanksgiving. And as there is this corporate call, kind of a worship gathering of God's people where this is read aloud and spoken aloud to God's people, give thanks to the Lord. There is a call to remembrance and specifically he calls them to remember his deeds. You'll see it mentioned three different times in the passage. Verse one, we're called to make known his deeds among all the peoples. Verse 2, we are called to see His wondrous works, to tell of His wondrous works. Verse 5, the same phrase, the wondrous works that He has done. And He adds to it kind of 
two more things. His miracles, as if wondrous works was not enough of a description. And the judgments that he has uttered upon the nations, the things that God has done with his voice. All of these things are wondrous and miraculous and they are the acts of God and they are deserving of our thankfulness. So that seems to be the plain intent of the psalmist, that God's people would be thankful for all that he all that he has done added to from last week, all that he is, all that he has done. And certainly that is true. It is. The same as the witness of the rest of Scripture, that we're called to be thankful for what God has done. Psalm 9 and verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Psalm 107 verses 8 and 9. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His Wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Or just moving even outside of the Psalms, Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 4. Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Christian thankfulness is rooted in who God is, but at the very core of thanking God for who He is, is the reality that we must recognize that that God, who is God alone, has done great things for us. Now, we don't have time to unpack all of the things that we see here in the passage. There's a whole list of stories about what God has done in the life of the people of Israel no doubt these are things that are distant from us. We, we think about them as Bible stories, but for the nation, it's something that they would have been very familiar with. And we don't have time to look at all of them in detail. It's the story from Abraham and the promise of the land to this fulfillment when God brings them into the land. By the way, we don't have an exact date for when this psalm was written, but you can almost picture the, the, the people of Israel standing there in the temple courtyard, standing atop the temple mount, maybe, maybe at the time it was the tabernacle, but standing there worshiping the Lord. And it's almost as if God says, stop, take a breath, look around you, look behind you. And, and if you've been at the temple mount, you know you can see for miles. Look around you, look beyond you and remember how you got here. I think there is a dangerous tendency for the people of God to be thankful for where we are, but forget who it is that got us there. And as they look around, he says, remember, and there is this reminder of several things in the passage. I want to just give those to you, just kind of surveying Psalm 105. Remember his miraculous keeping of his covenant promise. Look at verse 7. He says, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever. The word that He commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant He made with Abraham. His sworn promise to Isaac. And watch this. He just repeats it again. To Isaac. To Jacob. To Israel. And ultimately entering into the land of Canaan. 
This is a hearkening back to Genesis 12, a reminder of the promise that God made to Abraham. And here we are, presumably decades later, and God has fulfilled his promise to Israel. The miraculous covenant keeping God that he made this promise to one man and throughout the the turns of history and all of the things that took place between the taking of the land and the giving of the promise, God was faithful to complete his promise. It is a miracle that God could complete what he started with all of the people that were in the land. God kept his promise He is a covenant-keeping God, and it is a miracle to remember as we look back and think about all the things that God has done in our lives, all the ways that He's fulfilled His promises to us. So remember His miraculous keeping of His covenant promise. Then He moves on to verses 12-15 through and deals with His protection. Remember His miraculous protection of His chosen servants. Love this part of this passage Verse 12, when they were few in number. He's talking about whenever the promise was given to Abraham and then to his son and his son. There was just a few of them. There weren't that many. They just, as they looked around them, they thought, how could this be that our descendants could outnumber the sands of the sea and the the stars in the sky? How could that even be possible, God? How could you bring all of this about, about from one man? And yet God continued to keep his promise. But it's interesting the context that he gives us. Verse 15 says, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. The concern on the heart of the psalmist here is not the threat of those outside, but rather the threat of those inside. Watch this. That's almost a direct quotation from the story in Genesis 20 about uh, about Abraham and Abimelech and coming to that pagan king and, and lying to the king and telling him that Sarah was his sister. And interestingly enough, Abimelech says, well, if she's your sister, then I want her as my wife. <laughs> and instead of rising up and Abraham doing something about it and, and bringing out the truth, he, he lets it happen. In the midst of Abraham's failure, God actually stops the sin of Abimelech. It's an amazing thought. He stops the sin of a man who did not even believe in him. And God took the failure of one of His people and He says, in my providence, I'm going to protect you not only from the outside influences, but I'm going to protect you even from your own choices. Praise God that He does that. We're going to see that again next week as we look at God's patience in our lives. So His miraculous protection, His miraculous provision. By the way, if you're tracking, the the psalmist goes all the way from Genesis 12 to the end of Joshua with his story. So his miraculous protection, but also his provision of his people, his provision of his people's physical needs. Genesis 38 through 50 here, it's verses 16 through 25. And he tells the story of the famine that was brought into the land. And Joseph comes in and he is God's servant, the one who through through Joseph, God would provide for the physical needs of the people whenever they were starving They would be provided even though they sold Joseph into slavery during that famine. He would be in the right place at the right time because God ordained it. And he would so feed his family and all of the rest of the nation of Israel. Even when Pharaoh would turn against, we see the story take another turn. Verses 26 through 38, not only his provision, but his rescue. Whenever the people saw bondage in the the land of Egypt, 
This is Exodus, the first 14 chapters. God would rescue them out of slavery. We see that turn take uh, that that turn come in the text whenever verse 26, he begins to describe Moses and his rescue of the people through God's leadership in his own his own life. His miraculous rescue. They finally leave Egypt in Exodus 14. And then we pick up the story in Exodus 15. Verse 39 of this passage. A, a leadership of God. This cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. And this leadership of God in the land. His miraculous leadership of His people in the wilderness. They weren't left out there to just kind of wander. Although it may have felt like that. God was constantly leading them. And then last, this empowerment of this people in the conquest. As you move to verse 43, 4, 5, you start to see this picture of them entering into the land. And it is a very short recap of the entire, the entire story of Joshua and how God led the people into the land to take the land despite all of the foreign influences that were there. It's an amazing thought and this progression of six books of the Bible. And God always provides and protects and brings about a miracle out of the impossible. We could spend all week just unpacking what God had done. And what the psalmist is saying is, Israel, don't stand atop this mountain and worship the Lord and forget everything He's done for you. Nothing you did, Israel, brought you to this moment. God has brought you to this moment. Nothing that you did, Israel, is worthy of any praise. All the things that God has done for you is worthy of all praise. God is worthy of your gratitude, Israel. Look around and see what great things the Lord has done. I want you to notice a couple of things about what he says here. By the way, he ends it with praise the Lord. What better way to end the psalm? Notice a couple of things here. This is not first-hand experience. Likely none of the people that are hearing this psalm read, proclaimed, likely none of them have a first-hand witness of all of the miracles and acts that God has done that He's described here. They were already in the land. Children having inherited the the good things that God had done through the nation of Israel for ages. Likely none of them seeing that. And yet, isn't it true that we ask the question often? Yeah, well, what has God done for me? Nothing in this passage alludes to any personal provision of God for these particular people in the immediate sense. Nothing. Everything about their gratitude for what God has done was rooted in past events. A written record of all the good things that God had done. And so we ask, what has God done for me lately? And and I want to just be honest with you and real. Can we be honest about that question? Some of you have asked that question before in your life. And some of you have heard others ask that question. It's sometimes really hard answer that question positively, isn't it? I mean, how many of you have ever been at the place in your life and you go, I, you know, I can't, I don't know if I can make a list of things that God has done for me 
lately. Everything around me just seems to be failing. Has anybody ever been there? Maybe maybe I'm alone this morning. Maybe this sermon's for me. But I got a hunch that some of y'all have been there before. You're just not willing to admit it. (laughs) But it's interesting that God didn't say, look at what it's doing for you right now. He said, look at what I've done for you in the past. And it's things that have been recorded by the nation of Israel. I just find it interesting that we don't need to be able to see clearly what God is doing right now in order to be thankful. (laughs) I find it interesting that all we need is the written record of God's work in history, His miraculous work in history, that that record in God's Word is sufficient for us to thank God for the great things that He has done. Isn't that an amazing thought? And yet all of us could sell stories, couldn't we? If you go on thinking about all of the things you think about that survey, man, you could write a survey of your life. The story continues to be written of what God has done in your life. I mean, you just think about church history for just a moment. You you are holding God's word because one man, God placed it on the heart of one man to translate the Bible into English so that we could have a copy of God's word. One man and you have the word of God. One man thought that it was just just a, a, a crazy a crazy thing that the Catholic Church was teaching, this desire to, be, to do works, to be saved. And he nailed something to their door and began to teach that we're not justified by our works. We're justified by our faith. And as a result, we have the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't know if you know about that. But from all of that, the Protestantism rose. And, and we can now trust not in our works, but in Christ. It's been preserved because of God using one man to proclaim justification by faith at the risk of his life. Miraculous works. Seventy, almost five years ago, God brought people together in this church and said, you know, Alice Creek, New Home Baptist Church, we, we, we believe that God is leading us together to do a greater work. And we are sitting here in this room because some people believed that God could do more than they could imagine. And this church has been here 75 years serving the community and telling people about Jesus. It's not because of any work of a man, but because of the work of of God. It's a miracle. You've got stories in your family where God has healed people from cancer where God has restored marriages. I mean, you've got you've got stories in your family where you, you maybe some of you even in this room have a child that you should have never had. Why? Because God is good and he's done great things for us. Why should God do anything for us? Before he before his love and his grace and His goodness, see all of that rooted in His character. God has done great things for us. If you just think for a moment what great things God has done. I, I, there's story after story after story, personal stories in this room that have been shared with me. And some of you have those shared those stories with me. And you know God has done great things. The question is, how do we respond to God? What does thankfulness look like 
when we recognize that God has done great things. More than any of those things, even the gospel. I mean, the fact that he saved you, this is a miracle that Adelaide is trusted in Christ. It's a new birth. Adelaide didn't save herself. Christ saved her. So what do we do when we recognize that we have a great God who does great things for us? There are three different things in the passage. It's interesting. He frames this in the same way he frames Psalm 100. Notice there right at the very beginning, there are three things that are mentioned. Those three things that are unpacked throughout the passage. It's it's like he gives you an outline. Verse 1, you'll see three things mentioned there. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. He's saying three things there. And then he takes and attaches to that some more meaning to try to help us understand what he's saying in those three things. So three major responses of the thankful heart to God's miraculous works. Number one, we should praise him with joy. Praise him with joy. That is the very first thing that is said. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. It's an exclamation. Oh, it's not. Well, I guess we've got to give thanks to the Lord today. And if you pray like that, I guess let's bless the food. Well, I'm glad God did that. It's interesting, we have that kind of response to God's activity, but we have a whole lot greater responses to all kinds of other activity in our life. (laughs) Our football, our children, our, our politics. No, the psalmist says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. He has done amazing things for us. You see, this is joy. We, we ought not to be able to give thanks to the Lord without praising Him with joy. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Sing to Him, He says. Sing to the Lord. Sing praises to His name. Our hearts ought to rejoice in God. Glory in His name. I love the word. It's, it's almost, off, almost always used. Glory to God. Almost like we're ascribing Him glory. Giving the uh, weight that is due him, value, honor, recognition. But that's not what he says here. He says glory in him. In other words, in all of your joy, in all of the value, the worth, the substance of your joy, find it in God. <laughs> Don't glory in your football team. Don't glory in your kids. Don't glory in the things that God has given you. Don't glory in the blessings. You glory in Him. When He gives great things, it is the giver that is far greater than all of the gifts. Do you see that? You, you find joy in Him. Our kids, and, and some of you know this growing up, our, our, our kids, they, they love the presents that we give them at Christmas, don't they? You know this. They love these gifts that we give them, and the joy is in the gift. But as you've grown up, what's happened? It's been a miracle. A miraculous shift in your heart, hasn't there? Toward your parents. Because now, when you're given a gift, your appreciation for the gift is far overshadowed by your appreciation and love and honor of your parents. 
or whoever else, right? When you received a gift on your wedding day, maybe. I didn't know I was supposed to do that. I didn't. Anyway, when you, whenever you received a gift, maybe on your wedding day, it doesn't have the meaning that 30 years worth of a hard-fought marriage and value has whenever a gift is given. It's an amazing thing. Because the gift all of a sudden fades and the giver is the one who holds value and you ought to rejoice in God like that. Find joy in God. That's what the psalmist tells us to do. Rejoice in Him. Sing to Him. It ought to flow from a heart of thanksgiving. Secondly, seek Him for help. Seek Him for help. That's the second phrase. When he says call upon His name, he's not just saying, Hey God! It's the song that we're going to close with in a few moments. Lord, I need you. I need you every hour. I need you. Help me, God. How do we know that this is a call for help, not just a calling upon his name and praise? Well, he goes on in the parallel thought in verse four. He goes on talking about seeking the Lord and his strength. (coughs) Seek the Lord and his strength as if we're weak and we're in need Like, I don't have what I need, so I'm calling upon the Lord. Seek the Lord in His strength, His presence continually. I don't want to just be in Your presence in this place. Like, I don't want to live any day of my life outside of Your presence, God. I need You. Where can I go away from Your presence? Lord, You're there and I need You there every step of every way. You see, when God does great things for His people and you realize that every good and and perfect gift is from above, You don't turn anywhere else but to Him who is the giver. When you have need, and when you realize that you are always in need, then you always turn to Him. His presence continually. Greatest need that we have is that Christ has come to our rescue. I don't know about you, but I'm a lot like Abraham. Not in selling my wife off or giving my wife away. You know, I hope that would never happen, but... I'm a lot like Abraham. I'm prone to wander. I get myself into the most sinful of messes. But I have a God that amazingly, He has at every step of the journey of my life. And y'all, I'm just testifying this morning. Is that okay with y'all? At every step of the journey of my life, when I've made an absolute mess of it, God seems to to just show up there and to take my mess and to to fix everything. And when He fixes it, I He comes to my rescue, and I can't do anything but say, "I don't know how you did that. I, I don't know how you did that in my life. Like you should have left me." But God, You saved me. You rescued me. And the greatest way He ever did that is at seven years old when He looked out in my life and He said, I know all of the sins that your life is going to be full of. I know all of the mistakes. I know the pride. I know all of your failures. And right now in this moment, I'm going to call you forgiven in the blood of my Son because you've given your life to me. And there's going to be days where you follow a different path, but I'm going to keep bringing you back and I'm going to keep stopping your sin because at the end of the day, I'm the faithful one. And the mantra of your life when you get to the end will not be that you made it, but that I got you there. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. We have a, 
We have a faithful God who absolutely comes to our rescue. He is our help. We're going to talk more about that one in a couple of weeks. You've got to get to this last one this morning, though. Praise Him with joy. Seek Him for His help. And finally, declare Him with zeal. Declare Him with zeal. He says, make known His deeds among the peoples. But keep tracking that. Because you're, you're tempted to just go make known his deeds and to miss the last two words. If you stop there. You're tempted to just go, okay, I, I, I just I want to make known his deeds. So, so singing counts. Uh, being among God's people right here in this place counts because we're telling stories of what God's done in our life. But that's not really what the psalmist is after. Notice verse 5, he says, Remember the wondrous works he has done, his miracles, the judgments he uttered. Uh, back up, uh, rather. Yeah, no, right there. Judgments he's uttered. Verse 6, O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. And then he says in verse 7, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. So we're to make them known. We're to remember them. We're to tell of them. And it's because he wants his judgments to be in all the earth. The goal of the rule and reign of God is not that he would just simply be known in this place. The goal of a sovereign creator who is a sovereign savior is that his rule and reign be made known in every place on the planet. All the peoples, all the earth. And he says, you declare it. You have been tasked. With declaring his works in all the earth. Let me just ask you, just by way of confession, for your heart before the Lord. Has God done great things in your life? Okay. Without you saying, who is the last Unbeliever, that you told what God did to save you through Jesus and what God's been doing in your life lately. Some of you go, man, I told somebody this week and it was awesome. Praise God for that. May that be an example to all of us. But some of you are going. You know, I'm not sure who I told. God's deeds are declared by his people. And what if just this group of people got so overwhelmed by what God had done in their life?
that everywhere we went, we were having conversations of, can I tell you who God is? Can I tell you what Jesus has done? Can I tell you about the gospel? Can I tell you what God's doing in my life lately? So much so that you couldn't go anywhere without having that conversation. What if? What if? I have a feeling. I have a feeling that God would be made much of into Phoenix Springs and all the way to the ends of the earth. Not because we're able, but because He is. And He will accompany the declaration of His Word. I want to invite you to bow your heads all across the room this morning and just simply ask you three very basic questions. Three very basic questions. Do you find joy in God and what He's done in your life to the point that you rejoice and sing over those things? Maybe you're in your life right now and that's a question that can't be answered because you're walking through some difficulty in your life. It's tough. It's tough. It's real. Nobody confesses to say that it's, that it's small and light. You, whatever it is that you're walking through is as heavy as anything you've ever faced because you're feeling the pain of it in the moment. And so I want to ask you question number two. Have you turned to the Lord for His help? Laying down every solution you have, every answer you have, and just simply turning to the Lord for His help. Some of you this morning, that means that you need to turn to the Lord for rescue. You're a sinner. Separated from God. You need a Savior. And Christ has come. Today you need to call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You'll just trust Him today. Here's the third question. Who do you need to declare the mighty works of God to in your life? Who is it that needs to hear? Where is it that you need to go? What is it that you need to do in order that God's fame might be made known? What He's done so that it's not a story written and hidden from people, but you speak it from your life and from your mouth. Here's what God has done. Let me tell you about Him. Some of you know the person that you're supposed to go to and you just have stopped Short every time. And this is the week. This is the week. This week, you need to tell them about Jesus. So in just a few moments, we're going to stand together and we're going to sing. And this altar is going to be open. And I, I just believe the Lord would call us to one of those three, those three things. Come and resume your joy in God. Come and trust in Jesus or turn to the Lord for help. And today... Make a commitment that you're going to proclaim Jesus as Lord and all that God has done to those around you. So I want to invite you to stand with me all across the room and I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing, Lord, I need you. And you respond to what he's calling you to do in your life. Lord, I pray that you would move in this place. God, that hearts would be stirred to obey you and that you would be exalted by the decisions that are made. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. This altar is open. As the music plays, you begin to come. God, we just simply make this our prayer this morning. 
We need you. You are the God on whom we depend. And God, we ask that as we continue to depend upon you, God, that you would receive glory and honor in our lives. Help us to remember the great things that you have done for us. And may we be glad. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ. Thank you.